0: Call 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. Lance, how are you doing today, my man?
1: Oh, uh, Yeah, I, I would say that I'm probably probably doing the best that I've been doing uh, over the course of a weekend, probably that I've done uh, this entire year. I, I feel fantastic after seeing Auburn uh, get a win on Saturday, and I'm just so glad that college football is finally back and in the swing of things. I am, I'm riding a high right now, man
0: all the way into your Labor Day Monday hope everybody's having a great holiday out there but we are here hard at work for you to be able to put on a great show for you guys today call in at 334-321-1390 we want to hear from you your impressions of Auburn 60-10 to win over Akron or any other impressions that you have across college football Alabama took down Miami by a handy margin it wasn't even close at any point in that ball game except for when it was 0-0 at kickoff of course the Georgia Clemson game was an excellent affair and then Lance you're over there in that sissy blue shirt <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah yeah uh, LSU uh, getting uh, losing by by 11 to UCLA late on Saturday night uh, really embarrassing for, for LSU for a team that I thought would be able to to kind of bounce back but week one they do not look like much has changed from 2020
0: let's get into this though let's talk about auburn impressions of Auburn's 60 to 10 win over akron we'll just bullet point this thing off talk about each one in detail What's one impression that you had of Almer's 60 to 10 win over Akron this past Saturday? Well I think one
1: thing that I, that, that I uh, was, was very impressionable to me it was that expectations were met, something that you said on Friday is that you wanted to see this team go out there and just dominate in every aspect of the game.
0: Was't just dominate in every aspect of the game. I wanted sheer utter dominance. And it felt like the starters did that.
1: Obviously, Auburn didn't get a shutout. I feel like if they had kept the starters in, Auburn would have shut them out. Uh, But, but yeah. They They wouldn't have gotten 100 yards. I don't think they would have either. Yeah, just complete dominance from this Tiger team, specifically on the defensive side of the ball. At least I feel like early on in the game with the starters, because I think the most impressive stat, this is another impression that I had, the most impressive stat I think of the entire game, was Auburn allowing negative three yards rushing. I mean, that is, that is absolutely phenomenal. For a team that ran the ball more than they threw it last year in Akron, and by the way, Akron had four more rush attempts in this game than Auburn did. They had 36 compared to Auburn's 32. Auburn just completely shut them down on, in, in the running game. So, yeah, just complete and total dominance, and then, man, that defensive line they got after it.
0: Well, going back to your point about complete and utter dominance, because that's what it was, 60-10. to 10. Auburn did the little things right in this football game. You didn't see dropped passes. You didn't see any turnovers. Auburn had zero turnovers at the end of the day. Folks were finishing blocks. They were finishing plays. Auburn did the little things the right way this game against Akron. And you see what happens when you do the right things. I left that game thinking Gus Malzahn wouldn't have hung 60 on Akron in the first game of the season. Not because... He wouldn't have wanted to, or not because he was holding back. I mean, a little bit. Malzahn never really ran up the score on anybody. And not that Brian Harson was running up the score, but like we talked about on Friday, no mercy. This isn't a question of sportsmanship. They got paid. They're coming here. Take the beating. This is about improvement and making sure you send a message to your football team. And I think Brian Harson did that all throughout fall camp, and that's why you see a 60-10 to 10 win on Saturday against Akron Malzahn wouldn't have gotten 60 points on Akron I remember back to two years ago into 2019 when Auburn was playing Kent State and Tulane and they were struggling to run the football with consistency there was no doubt in this ball game that Auburn was going to control every aspect of the game from start to finish, and they were going to do things the right way, regardless of who the opponent was. They were going to go out there and dominate, not play down to the level of their competition, but to set their own standard, and they met that.
1: Is it is this what happens whenever you put first team against first team in practice? That you that you ex, that you see fundamental results like this? And this is not this is not to 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 you know be be rude to the former coaching staff or to to, to hate on them. I'm just saying I feel like the way that this coaching staff prepped for this game, the mentality that they went into with it and the way they went about it, I, I just feel like in games like this, like you said, compared to what we were seeing in like 2019 and in 2020, I mean, preparation seemed to go a long way in this game. I think I think Auburn is in a very good place with their coaching staff right now.
0: Now, granted, the other side of this coin that we do have to bring up is: yes, it was accurate, and there are probably folks out there listening right now, and like, hold on a minute, it was accurate. And of course, yes, you do have to pump the brakes. But I want to bring up: like Auburn really wasn't doing this against teams under Malzahn. They how how often have we really seen Auburn go out and perform? like they did on Saturday against the teams that Malzahn was playing, like Kent State and Tulane. Of course, they did this against Alabama State a couple of years ago, but how often do we really see Almer go out there in games like this, first game of the season, and basically the starters play a flawless performance? You, you just We never really saw that under Malzahn, and that's what stuck out to me. That was my impression. Yes, it was just Akron, and can you really glean anything from this? for when Auburn plays Penn State, or for when Auburn plays LSU, or for when Auburn plays Georgia. No, because we have to see Auburn play those teams first. We have to see Auburn play a team of quality to really know what you've got and really know where Auburn needs to improve. But one thing that you can take away from this ball game is they did the right things regardless of what they were playing against. And the previous coaching staff, it wasn't always like that in these football games. So I think that that's a massive positive. And then when you look around college football on Saturday, Penn State and LSU, I I didn't think they looked very good. I didn't think they played very well. I've got some real optimism. I remember on fill-in-the-blank Friday, I said Auburn fans will be blank after Saturday's game against Akron. I said cautiously optimistic because folks were going to look around college football. They were going to see an underwhelming performance from Penn State. I thought they were going to lose. They ended up winning, but still, I don't think they looked good doing it. And they were going to look around. They were going to see LSU struggle. They were going to look around college football, and they're going to be like, oh, Auburn looked really good today, whereas some other teams struggled. Now, of course, LSU was playing a team of quality. Penn State was playing a team of quality. But I still think you can see some things exposed on film in those games that should give Auburn fans some optimism moving forward because there's something to build on here after game one.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree with everything you said. Yeah, as far as looking around at the landscape and seeing what other teams are doing, this is, I I want to I want to say that, yes, this is Akron. Auburn beat Akron by 50. It, it was a game against a terrible opponent. But you look around at the rest of college football and you look at some of these teams that were playing FCS schools and they either couldn't beat them or could not pull away from them. And Auburn is out here winning by 50.
0: Well, look inside your own league. Teams that folks were extremely high up on, Texas A&M. Specifically in your division. Right. Only up 10-3 to at halftime against Kent State. Right now, Haynes King is averaging an interception every nine and a half pass attempts across his career. He's thrown 37 balls in his college football career, and he's thrown four interceptions, right? A&M struggles at this point out the gates against Kent State. LSU gets dominated by UCLA. It wasn't even close. They look soft. Mississippi State should have lost to Louisiana Tech Arkansas was only up 24 to 17 against Rice. Other teams in the SEC I thought struggled against squads that maybe you and I thought they would have handled pretty easily. Missouri didn't look good against Central Michigan. There were some losers this weekend in the league that may have a 1-0 record right now but I I felt like in the SEC didn't play very well. Absolutely. I put out actually an
1: article on Auburn Wire just yesterday. Three losers from Auburn's win against Akron and I didn't have a single player from Auburn's roster listed that is currently on roster the three losers that I had were Anthony uh, Schwartz and Seth Williams because they didn't get to experience this offense I think they would have had a lot of fun in it Bo Nix's haters and the rest of the SEC was my final point to what you were just talking about because you look around the rest of the league again LSU losing to UCLA Texas A&M struggling Arkansas up 24 to 17 in the fourth against Rice and Mississippi State should have lost like you just mentioned Auburn looks a lot better coming out of the gates than they have in the past and the rest of the league does not seem like outside of maybe Alabama and Georgia that they are ready the coaching has not been there for some of these other teams
0: second impression I want to get to of Auburn's 60 to 10 win over Ackerman before we get to it Remember, you can call in 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. We want to hear from you. What impressions did you have from Saturday's dominance over the Akron Zeps? My second impression that I want to get get to here was you could see evidence throughout the game of Bo Nix going through his progressions. This was something that I harped on throughout the week last week of something like, look, you know that he's not going to have a lot of pressure on him. He was pressured very little throughout the ball game. I think that he was only pressured like less than, you know, 10% of the time that he stepped out there. The the offensive line did their job, but were they really tested by this defense? No, but there was evidence you could see on several plays, especially on scoring plays. There was the touchdown pass to Kobe Hudson in the seam. You could see he goes through his first read, which was downfield, I guess it was on an out route or something like that, and then there was he or he looked to his left and then he turned back to his right, looked for an underneath route it was covered up and then he went to the seam with Kobe Hudson it was his third read and he throws an absolute beautiful pass to him in the slot there was evidence throughout the ball game of Bo Nix making really good decisions making really good throws he didn't overthrow a single receiver you want to talk about guys doing things the right way he may have underthrew some guys but it was still catchable right but how many times against a Kent State against a Tulane two years ago did we see Bo Nix overshoot A wide open Anthony Schwartz downfield which which that doesn't matter about pressure that doesn't matter about opponent for all intents and purposes that's quarterback and wide receiver wide open couldn't hit him it's the exact same throw in this game against Akron and he drills him and he makes the throw happen and they were touchdowns so I thought Bo Nix looked really good looked really comfortable once again I go back to this was Akron how much can you really glean from this but at face value he looked really comfortable and he made all the throws, and he made all the right decisions. Yeah,
1: and that would that was another impression that I had as Bo Nix looked about as comfortable in this offense as he has in his entire Auburn career against any opponent. It looked like he had all the right answers. Like you said, he went through his progressions, and he was 20 of 22 for 275 yards at the end of the day. I believe he set the Auburn single-game record for completion percentage at 91%. I mean you it's something that we were talking about throughout the offseason about how we want this offense to be more efficient I don't think it can get much more efficient than 20 of 22 uh there were some days uh, I think Justin Ferguson said this on Twitter there were some days where it felt like Knicks couldn't go 20 of 22 against air if his receivers were just out there running free but you know I, I will say if I have to nitpick something it was his accuracy on some of the throws that were that were wide open because those throws are not going to be as wide open or not there at all against SEC opponents like Georgia, Alabama, even Texas A&M, because Texas A&M, despite all their offensive woes, they still have a pretty good defense. Look, he underthrew slightly the route to Shedra Jackson. Had he led him on, that would have been a touchdown. I'm going to say something at, at the end of this to kind of to kind of kind of back off of it, though. Javaris Johnson, the touchdown throw to him, was slightly underthrown and a little bit behind him. The throw to Kobe Hudson was behind him. Regardless of whether or not he was 100% accurate, and he's going to need, need to be more accurate down the road, those were still touchdowns and in, in, in deep passes that were completed. He still made the throws. Like you mentioned, he didn't overthrow them because that's been a tendency in his past. I think that's re- a really, really good sign, and I think it's it's proof that this coaching staff has gotten to him Uh, in terms of like the the mental and the mechanical side of stuff to make sure don't overthrow this don't overthrow this don't overthrow this make sure you put it where he can get it whatever you do just do not overshoot your receiver seeing him underthrow two touchdowns and and, uh, and misplace a ball that could have been a touchdown and still complete those passes I think is a really good thing because again like you said in the past he has a tendency to overthrow at the same time I'm saying yes, it's a good thing, but at the same time, at the end of the day, SEC schools that he's going to play against down the road, he's going to have to be a little bit more accurate against. But still, an incredible performance from Nix.
0: Wasn't pressured Harley at all. I've actually got now hard statistics for Pro Football Focus on this. On 24 dropbacks for Bo Nix, he had one play where he was pressured by the opposing defense. So, yes, going back to that, not pressured a whole bunch, but still making the right throws. Something else I want to add, time to throw, 2.61 seconds was the average amount of time that the ball was getting out of his hands. That's extremely impressive.
1: Yeah, and I think... think the the rule in college football and I think in football in general is you need to have that mental clock right and you need to have that three second timer It's you once you hit, once you catch the ball in your hands you have three seconds to get rid of it you go one two three and at that point you should have either released it or being it, throwing the ball or have your receiver targeted and uh, be
0: at 2.6 seconds I mean that's that's perfect Kind of a point B here to this impression, which the impression was Bo Nix went through his reads, went through his progressions. You could see evidence of that throughout several plays, namely the play where he hit Kobe Hudson in the slot. That was one that really sticks out to me. That was my favorite play of seeing him on Saturday. I know that Zach Blackerby of the Locked On Auburn podcast as well as Auburn Wire, he did a film room session, said his favorite play was one of the check downs that he threw to whether it was Sean Shivers or it was Tank Bigsby that's right it was Tank Bigsby he looks downfield they had two or three different receivers going downfield you could see he moves his head from left to right across the play nobody's open doesn't want to make the pass very quickly makes the decision to dump it off down low to Tank Bigsby you could see evidence of it throughout the ball game with that being said evidence or a point B here on this impression about Bo Nix going through his reads and looking good there's no quarterback battle here there's that was a that was I, I don't know what that was throughout this offseason but there's no quarterback going on there's no quarterback battle going on here yeah
1: absolutely and I think I, I, I said it on Friday after watching the open practice just a week or so ago watching Nick's throw a football compared to watching T.J. Finley throw a football and working with those two offenses night and day difference it was very clear that Bo Nix is the guy moving forward and if he's going to have 20 of 22 days against teams like Akron, he's going to be able to play at the level of a starting quarterback down the line at least I hope he would I would assume after seeing this performance there has been some sort of progression mentally and mechanically for Knicks and everybody kind of including myself got locked into what was happening during those two scrimmages right about this coaching staff putting him in high pressure situations well it seems like at the end of the day that that's that's kind of been a good thing for him
0: now with that being said TJ Finley was pressured on two of his five dropbacks so you go from what was 4% of the time Bo Nix was pressured to 40% of the time TJ Finley was pressured when he stepped out there completed two of his five passes for a total of 22 yards wasn't overly accurate I thought he made one poor decision out there which was thrown out into uh, a a curl route on on the right sideline it was late in the fourth quarter midway through the fourth quarter rather so inconsequential play but in the short limited time that we had from TJ Finley it was clearly a much more watered down product of a passing offense so I want to still give the guy a fair shake but even if T.J. Finley didn't look good and maybe that was a figment of what was being ran at the time and the fact that Auburn was shutting the game down at that point and was and, and was putting it on ice and was electing to go with a lot more of a vanilla scheme and was running the football a lot more had rotated in some new players and whatnot May, he he may have not have been running with the ones but for the fact that we didn't see him run with the ones at all on Saturday that tells you there's no quarterback battle going on
1: yeah absolutely and, and that's something that you know uh, I, I believe Zach also harped on on his podcast that was put out today talking about T.J. Finley and talking about his film room and stuff it's like look we need to understand that Bo Nix is the guy moving forward but we also need to give T.J. Finley a fair shake for all the reasons you just mentioned Nix had the starting uh, w- w- was with the starters rather Finley was not. Mike Bobo was scripting plays for this offense to score points with Nix. He was not doing that with TJ Finley. Like you said, they were trying to shut the game down at that point. So we need to be able to give Finley a fair shake and not say that he's an incompetent quarterback because I saw a couple people on social media saying similar things to that. But at the same time, let's also realize Nix is the guy and he's going to be the guy moving forward.
0: Let's take a quick break here. When we come back, we look at some of the other conferences after week one. Which conference had the best weekend? Which conference had the worst weekend? Number to call, 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. If you're on the go, if you're enjoying your Labor Day weekend, give us a call, give us a text. Whatever's on your mind, give us your impressions of Auburn 60-10 to win over Akron and some of the other stuff going on in college football this past weekend. Football is back. It feels good. And we'll be back when, in just a few moments. Back on on the line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on your Labor Day Monday here on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call 334-321-1390. Our text line as well at 334-564-1840. Going to head to the phone lines now and on the line with us, our first caller of the day, Rain Man with us. Rain Man, how's your Labor Day going?
2: Uh, very well after a, a phenomenal win and I want to say that in the the brakes mode as well. I know it was Akron. But for me, watching a game like Akron next week, Alabama State, two weeks after that, after Penn State, the uh, Georgia State or Southern, whichever one it is, it's a lot like watching the spring game. I'm not watching it to see how dominant the offense or defense looks playing against each other, let alone against the teams that we're supposed to handle. What I wanted to see was a lot of what you guys saw. Did Bo Nix have better footwork and better arm mechanic? Absolutely. Did he go through his reads and his progressions? Absolutely. Did he overthrow wide open receivers deep down the field by eight yards? No, he almost underthrew them a little bit because he was setting a seat and delivering accurate on time passes. It was nice to see. The offensive line looked like they understood their blocking assignments and what they were supposed to do. Uh, you know
3: it's it
2: is accurate, but It's a good way to get a a, a firm feel of what you're doing. And I felt like the team really seemed to enjoy what they were doing. They looked like they were into it.
0: I agree with that 100%. You can see the video of Zacoby McLean, Carrying the Gatorade cooler over to midfield after the ball game was over, and he douses Brian Harson, and, and Brian Harson doesn't do the whole thing where you know coaches start to kind of run away. He turns around, daps him up, hugs them. You know, you can see they're just having a great time, and and that spoke to me like, oh, these guys are bought in. These guys love their head coach. They love what they're doing. They're focused on doing the right things. I was super impressed. Something else I want to add about doing the right things. We didn't talk about this in the in the first segment, but penalties. Robert had like almost no penalties in the ballgame. Three for twenty five yards. Very
2: disciplined. That's Very right. Very disciplined. It was nice to say I said Penn State. I watched some Penn State Wisconsin. I watched some Minnesota, Ohio State. I made the comment maybe here last week that any quality defensive back in the SEC would have ran down that running back for Ohio State.
4: Yep. Uh, they're not
2: fast, they're not athletic like we are, neither is most of the Big Ten. I think you're right. Penn State got exposed. I feel a little better. I'm still going to hold off on LSU. Uh, traveled three days up to Houston to get out of the hurricane. Then traveled to UCLA. There's some fatigue issues and mental distraction issues there. I wouldn't bail on them being quality team just yet. That's what I keep telling everybody. And I'm not going to back off upsetting Georgia at home, my preseason prediction for the big upset of the year. Uh, their defense is top-notch I don't know so much about their offense Uh, we've got a lot to see on both of those
0: yeah there's still a lot to and and I wrote this down on some of my notes today pretty much everyone outside Alabama and, and I and I don't want people to take this the wrong way because I know this is really a heavy Auburn show but pretty much everybody outside Alabama on Saturday really showed that they needed a ton of improvement Alabama seems to be leaps and bounds ahead of everybody else. They already seem to be in mid-season form whereas you look at Clemson, even Georgia, their offense didn't look good. You look at LSU, you look at tons of teams across college football. Everyone had major hiccups on Saturday.
2: Absolutely. We're we're all we're all a step below where they are and that's just the way it is at this point.
0: That's but, right. Uh,
2: it's nice to have a little good feeling and you know, we weren't down. We weren't winning 10 nothing at halftime and having to play our starters in the second half. The backups got to Play. that's good for our future so war eagle
0: war eagle to you as well rain man appreciate you hopping on today that was rain man on the line with us and now we're going to head to our next caller 334-321-1390 you got about three minutes here terry how you doing today terry
4: doing great guys how y'all doing
0: we're doing real well big smiles on our faces because of the utter sure. dominance <laughs> you
4: have to you have to be completely impressed it was, it was obviously the, the players have bought into the coaches. Uh, thing, but no, you're kind of you're missing something. I hope you would brought up when you're talking about em- embarrassing performances against smaller teams. I think the most embarrassing performance and should have been a loss would have been Jacksonville State, and that one still sticks in my craw to this day.
0: Mm-hmm. Back in 2015, that been yeah, exceedingly bad. Yeah, that's uh, true. I,
4: uh, they had a guy on that team named Rock Thomas at Auburn. And I don't even think Auburn should have signed him. Quite honestly, um, I didn't. I didn't think Rock was a very good teammate. I, I, I that I, I studied his career a little bit at Oxford, being this close up here. It bothered me a little bit, but uh, temper what you be careful what you're saying. This is Akron, and they had a defensive lineman what 245 pounds.
0: <laughs> it seems I like mean,
4: it. You know, I mean, the, you know, when you, when you talk about the time that Bo Nix had to throw and the running game and all that, temper that by remembering that I mean, yeah. Akron's not a very good team, and and that the windows of opportunity on passes are going to be different against Daryl Stingley and those guys.
0: That's right. I'll tell you this though, LSU was giving up a lot of yardage out there so maybe lsu's probably not the best example there but you're right penn state's gonna play more
4: yeah
0: i think so yeah maybe (laughs) i'll take your word for it they're gonna lose
4: to (laughs) auburn alabama and texas a&m too
0: well i like the optimism that you've got then terry because uh it it seems like you were cautious going into cautious going into the season but now you've got auburn beating lsu i'm here for it
4: no they're they're. i mean their biggest joke is that that clown of a head coach they have (laughs) Uh, that's 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 look guys that's gene chiswick reincarnated all that is
0: it is a similar career
1: trajectory. It's
4: it's a, no, it's not similar; it's the very same. It is no. very, it is
1: very, very similar. Both of them won a national championship with a transfer quarterback. Both of them had one defensive player that bailed them out in key moments. Both of them had an offensive coordinator that left, and then after Both they had left, a the offense Both them had a great senior class, right? Yeah, and then uh, it's to be determined whether or not Ed Ogeron gets fired two years removed from a national title. Ed it's Ogeron should be in the WWE. That,
4: that, that's where he belongs. <laughs> he shouldn't be coaching football. The scary thing about it, guys, is somebody, some program out there, is going to be stupid enough to give him another coaching job.
0: There yeah, will, the there I will said. be a, a group of five school probably that'll scoop him up. You are right.
4: Yeah, that's the said. Now, I mean, overall, very impressive, and they'll be impressive this week against Alabama, A and M, or whoever they're playing. Look, Penn State. I wasn't impressed. Wisconsin run up and down the field on Penn State, guys. They just didn't punch in the end zone.
0: Yeah, that's true. 12 first downs at the end of the first half, whereas Penn I mean, State only had one. Five
4: plays, I think.
0: Yeah, which is uncharacteristic for a Wisconsin football team. Now, I tell you, if they don't
4: defend the run, let Auburn run ninety-five plays. Dane you might have one hundred and eighty-five yards rushing at halftime or more. <laughs> yeah, I mean that, that's. And I'm just glad that that Parsons kids at the Dallas Cowboys because he's a fantastic football player. Um, hey guys, you know Penn State but the linebacker.
0: Yeah, yeah, we know, we know what you're talking about.
4: You guys have a great day.
0: You too, Terry. Appreciate it. That was Terry from Talladega on the line with us. Number to call, 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. If you want to join in the show, 30 minutes through the first hour of On the Line. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. 30 minutes through hour number one of the Labor Day edition of On the Line. Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call 334-321-1390. Our text line at 334-564-1840. Keep up with all the content the show is putting out on RadioAlabamaSports.net. And all the Radio Alabama Sports Facebook and Twitter pages. Follow us there at Radio AL Sports. Once again, that's RadioAlabamaSports.net. Heard from Terry and Rain Man there in our last segment. If you want to call in, 334-321-1390. What impressions did you have of Auburn's 60-10 to win over Akron? What surprised you in Auburn's 60-10 to win over the Zips? Lance? I think the most surprising thing
1: to me was Jarquez Hunter coming in in the third quarter and finishing with 110 yards rushing. Is he the backup it feels like he should be, and I don't. I feel bad saying that because Shivers only had two carries, carries, and one of them he scored on. Um, but man, oh man, did he look good! Uh, like the vision was there, the power was there. You saw a little bit of speed. I know it's Akron, but still. And then late in that game, you saw him punish. I believe it was the safety number forty-four for Akron, Akron twice. The first time, forty-four chose to go high. Mistake. Hunter literally hit him out of bounds as he as he was walking that way. And then with 36 seconds left in the game, 44 chose to go low uh, at the pylon, and uh, that was a mistake. He just
0: launched just into the end zone. Just run it, ran him right over. Said but, this one's for the road.
1: Yeah, 12.2 yards per carry for Hunter. Only nine rushes. Again, 110 yards in that touchdown run. But I know, I know again, it's Akron. Auburn had their backups in, but Hunter looked really good for a freshman.
0: I'm trying to make sense of Sean Shiver's load on Saturday. Only two carries for 24 yards. Of course, a touchdown there also received... Also had a reception for 19 yards and a touchdown, of course. So he had three total touches, and two of them went for scores, right? But Tank Bigsby really didn't get spelled at all throughout the ball game. He was out there for a majority, if not all, of the snaps when the first-team offense was out there. Of course, Auburn didn't run a ton of plays, on Saturday. Of course they ran, let's see, twenty-seven passes plus thirty-one rushes. They had a total of fifty-eight, 58. plays. Yeah. It's like Auburn didn't run a ton of plays. So what does that mean for Sean Shivers? Like did the game just not develop out for him to get touches because they wanted Bigsby out there because they were throwing the ball downfield so much I mean they had 27 pass attempts across the ball game I felt like Auburn exercised the passing game like I wanted them to there was balance there of course they ran the ball more than they threw the ball it's not like they went all-out air raid or anything like that none of us expected that to occur but I felt like they exercised the passing game enough to work some things out put some things on film be able to do it in a live game situation without going full out just once again air raid or anything like that but I'm just curious if the game just didn't develop the way for Sean Shivers to actually get more touches and if that's really still baked in as far as game plans moving forward for him or if Jarquez Hunter, maybe because of his performance in this ball game, if he's going to be able to secure more touches than Sean Shivers as a running back. The way that we viewed Sean Shivers heading into this season
1: was positive, right? We expected him to do a lot more things in this offense. I
0: said he'd get 700 rushing yards. Right, because, that's not happening, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, because
1: he was not utilized properly. During his first three years with Malzahn, right, we were kind of thinking with this new offense, this new downhill offense, so to speak. Every running game's downhill. I don't, I don't really truly understand that, but I'm, sh- I'm, sh- I'm sure there's a real meaning behind it. But Shivers was not utilized properly, and you see the three touches that he gets in this game. Two of them go for touchdowns. I think this, I think this coaching staff understands his role in the offense, and I do think. That Hunter Jarquez Hunter will take more of a backup running back type of role, and then Shivers will be kind of that AP guy where they swing it out uh, to him once in a while duke
0: johnson-esque running back if folks watch the league a lot right don't you have a duke
1: johnson i am
0: wearing a duke johnson jersey right now actually i
1: I didn't realize what player it was cleveland Cleveland
0: browns duke johnson not houston texans or other locations like miami no we're browns guys
1: guys here but that's right
0: at doll pound on twitter
1: yes sir sean shivers though i think they're going to utilize him in that type of role i think we see him get less carries than hunter and if hunter continues on the tear that he is he's on right now look i'm not expecting him to get 10 or 15 carries against penn state but i think if auburn needs to switch to a guy besides Bixby in that game and they need to power something up the middle i feel more comfortable doing it with hunter than shivers
0: other things that we were surprised in an auburn 60 to 10 win over akron i'll give one for myself here they put some things on film that i at the moment when i saw it i was like oh that's interesting why did they put that on film and then it slapped me right in the face instantly a second later, i was like oh, they put that on film to set something up for later on in the season. For instance, the reverse that they ran in the Mm ballgame. That will probably be used. uh, They may not run it again next week. They will run it again at some point, and there very, very well may be an action off of it. It may very well end up being a pass in the future they may end up faking the reverse something else will happen on that specific play I wouldn't be shocked if they run that reverse against uh, Alabama State next week to further put that on film for a Penn State and an LSU work that into their work that onto film for folks and then later on in the season they'll run an action off of it using that as a setup play also the fullback tight end switch in the goal line packages that they had where they would move the tight end back to the fullback, the fullback would move to the other side of the line. There's a reason why they put all that on film. A, they want folks out there like Penn State and LSU to have to prepare for many different things. But B, they will probably run something else off of it other than what they showed on Saturday. It's all for setup down the line. So initially, I was a little shocked when I saw it live. I was like, wow, that's not... why, Why are they putting that on film here early on? They obviously we were talking about this all throughout the week. What what will Auburn's approach be? Will they be keeping things close to the vest or will they be opening things up? I think it was a little bit of both. I think it was a base game plan, but I do think that they put some things on film for opposing teams to have to prepare for down the line that Auburn may end up running some other type of action off of as a setup. Auburn's out here playing chess at the moment.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And then that goal line package package you're talking about, I believe it was fourteen personnel at one point. They had four tight ends on the field. I mean they were throwing a lot of different things out there uh, uh personnel wise and then you talk about the Demetrius Robertson uh sweep yeah I agree with you I think at some point they're definitely going to expand off of that play uh in, in the future there were a few times last night where you could see glimpses of different things in the passing game that I definitely think they're going to expand on in the future
0: let's head to the phone lines again 334-321-1390 Specter how you doing today on your Labor Day
3: I'm pretty good. I ain't got but a minute because I can get back to everybody else. But listen, um it it was a good game for us as far as work out and getting getting guys in the uh, right positions and all that and passing game working great, running game working great. But keep in mind guys, this is a one and eighteen team we played. That's right. And uh, Next week we'll have a. I think Alabama State's a little better team than them, but not not that much. But it'll give us another good workout. And the reason why we had so many guys playing is because Penn State and Penn State and well, who would play Georgia Southern or Georgia State? Georgia State. In, Georgia State. Well, Georgia State's going to be another one of those a little bit better than Alabama State, but uh, but after that. I don't think you're gonna see a lot of Hunter and the rest of them. You're gonna see our top two running backs most most of the time. Unless one of them gets hurt or they fail to produce. But uh, yeah, I, I just didn't want everybody to get so excited that we look like we're going to have a spectacular team. But I saw Penn State game. I tell you what, these boys are ready to play.
0: You saying Auburn or yeah. Penn State's ready to play? Penn State. I was a little underwhelmed with Penn State. I thought that they, uh, at least at halftime, I was halftime. I and, I and I watched the full game, but I don't know. I'm I'm not completely sold on that offense. Defense looked decent, but Wisconsin also was really close well, to the vest. Ran the ball a million times.
3: Well, again, now you're, Penn State's played a number twelve team in the nation. Yeah, Penn, Penn State number nineteen. They're not playing a, a not unranked team. That's right. So uh, I don't underestimate Penn State. Especially in their in their backyard.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh,
3: I just thought both uh, of those
0: teams looked so bad. Like, there were just a lot of miscues. A lot of, like, Graham Mertz just dropping the football for Wisconsin. <laughs> I think the game develops a little differently, maybe, if Wisconsin yeah. actually scores in the red zone.
3: Well, uh, let me tell you now, uh, first game jitters are always going to be there. I remember when Auburn was playing Clemson and, and, and other teams as their first game and got basically got blown out or couldn't. Didn't do anything.
0: Yeah, and then and they we, got better as the year went on.
3: Yeah, exactly. Then that's when then we turned around and started playing these other teams that are out of our league. And uh but uh I I'm impressed with, with what I saw, to tell you the truth, especially the offensive line. If that offensive line can hold up against Penn State like that, I'd be totally impressed for the rest of the season.
0: And, I one hundred percent agree.
3: Uh who was the top receiver we had?
0: Uh, believe it or not there was a tie in receptions between Shedrick Jackson and John Samuel Shanker but Shedrick Jackson led the team far and above in yards
3: yeah that's my man that's the one I picked right Jackson yep yep okay uh I think he's gonna have an outstanding senior year really tell you truth he looked great yeah especially if Bo Bo looked good And, and again I'm not putting a lot of emphasis on how everybody looked because of who we played but if it looks that good next week, well, I mean this coming Saturday, and if it really looks that good against Penn State, man, I'm really excited.
0: You should be because there were some other teams in the league that looked not very good against some bad football teams out there.
3: Yeah, uh, yeah, I not I saw, yeah, I saw some of that, and I can't remember who it was that shouldn't have, shouldn't have lost to that team. Uh, gosh, I can't think of who it was.
0: I mean, AM struggled. Mississippi State struggled. Mississippi State should have lost.
3: <laughs> yeah, there was somebody else, too. I can't think of who it was. They lost. They lost to an inferior team.
0: Vanderbilt lost to East Tennessee State by 20.
3: What is Vanderbilt doing in our league? <laughs>
0: hey, I'm, I'm okay with them being here. I need a I need a pillow to punch every once in a while.
3: Well, why, didn't, why ain't we playing Vanderbilt instead of Alabama State?
0: Sure. <laughs> because,
3: yeah, exactly. But anyway, that's all I got, guys. I got to get.
0: Appreciate it, Spectre. That was Spectre on the line with us. Number to call 334 321 1390. If you want to join into the show, text line at 334 564 1840. Something else that I was surprised about, but before we get to it, I, I do want to add on to Spectre's call here. He's right and you and I are not trying to get ahead of ourselves based on competition you should pull it back a little bit it was Akron there is still more work to be done we're not crowning Auburn national champions or anything like that Pfft, not the, Out of your butt come on <laughs>
1: what are we talking about the,
0: the real action begins in two weeks when they play Penn State 100 percent but what I want to harp on what is so impressive to us is that they did the little things right when can we say Auburn looked this good in a season opener against even this poor of competition because the previous coaching staff there were some underwhelming performances against bad teams Mercer Jacksonville State Tulane Kent State list goes on and on a lot of times the previous the previous regime would play down to the competition this was just come on bring it
1: yeah absolutely and uh yeah I would say that that as far as fundamentals go again we talked about it at open the show I think this coaching staff and these players got it on lock now I will say and you've got numbers to reflect this Noah and I think we're going to continue to talk about this later in the show Auburn's tackling from their from their depth guys was not the best in the world
0: that was something that did surprise me this Saturday and I don't have written on my list here and I don't know why I didn't write it down but it is something that did surprise me pro football focus numbers For Auburn had Auburn with a very average tackler rating, or honestly below average. They finished the day according to Pro Football Focus with a team tackle grade of 53. That's not very good. It's not very good at all. And out on the edge, that was where I think we saw the issues was when Akron was able to get out on the perimeter. Of course, Cato Nelson is an athletic quarterback. He can make guys miss. He was partially responsible for that. I was really underwhelmed with the backup unit and their tackling ability. There was some missed tackles out on the perimeter that needs to get cleaned up, but of course it is just game one.
1: Yeah, we got a text here from Drew that says they showed that they can win the games that they are supposed to win. Auburn did. So yeah, that's that's exactly right. Hit the nail on the head.
0: Something else that surprised me this past weekend, I just touched on it for just a moment, the backup secondary I thought looked rough.
1: Yeah and you look at Akron's backup quarterback DJ Irons he comes into the game 13 of 13 for 129 yards and a touchdown Akron finished the day with 191 yards passing uh that Auburn to give up 13 of 13 and I know that again it was backups but we're talking about how this is Akron and how bad Akron is don't give up every single completion to their backup quarterback to their backup quarterback and a touchdown in addition
0: right. to that you and I talked about how deep we thought this secondary was and the guys that stepped out there did not perform no they
1: did not it, it, it did not look great Roe Torrance was uh, really close to getting a pick there that would have been an insane highlight had he gotten uh high enough for that but he was 6-3 if he can't if he couldn't jump that high for the for the interception but to be
0: fair though he got picked
1: on yeah he really did and so did by Darius Knighton who uh who took a really bad angle on that touchdown that Akron threw um so yeah auburn's depth in the secondary did not look incredibly impressive from a coverage standpoint
0: yeah those were some things that shocked me from this past weekend of course we're gonna head to a quick break here when we come back we'll keep talking throughout the show which conference had the best weekend which conference had the worst weekend where were we right where were we wrong and then a full-on packed hour number two there's a lot still left here for the monday edition of on the line we'll be back in just a moment Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Last segment of the first hour of On the Line. we got about four minutes here until we get to hour number two. Follow ESPN 106.7 on Facebook and Twitter to keep up with the latest going on at the station. The Max Roundtable, On the Line, The Drive with Bill Cameron, analysis, news, and more. Seven hours of local sports talk radio. That's all on ESPN 106.7. Find the website on ESPNAU dot com lance a lot of stuff to unpack here throughout the show we got about four minutes here left in our number one let's see where do we want to go from here let's go to reactions from the weekend our weekly segment that we do on the show reactions from the weekend what is one that you had one the, that
1: i had was the sec west does not look as good as I might have expected it to. Again, we talked about this in the in uh, in the in the, uh, the first couple of segments of the show, but I want to reiterate what we were talking about here. Look, Arkansas didn't look good. Mississippi State barely beat Louisiana should've Tech. Lost. They should have lost that game. UCLA beat LSU. Um, Texas a And M's quarterback Haynes King threw three interceptions, and like you mentioned, it was ten to three at a halftime. I mean, their
0: backup quarterback had one pass attempt, and it was it a pick. Was picked,
1: yeah. So. Auburn right now, again, you look at the competition that those teams were playing. Rice, Kent State, I mean— Louisiana Tech. Louisiana Tech. I mean, for Auburn to go out there and put up 60 and look this good, look like they should— I think is a really, really good sign compared to where these other, some of these other teams are at because it feels like they're still living in 2020 in terms of preparation and the mental fog that's surrounding their programs because you watch them, they don't look as complete as Auburn did. And I think a lot of that has to go back with coaching. I genuinely, all the opponents that we just mentioned outside of UCLA, I mean, those are bad opponents. And for Auburn to go out there and just look competent compared to some of these other teams is, is a good thing.
0: Going to one of my reactions from the weekend, and this one goes and pairs really well with what you just said. Everyone but Alabama really needs drastic improvement. Alabama seems to be, in terms of the, the competition that they played against, Right, they at least played a ranked team. They at least played a Power 5 team, and they whooped them. Plain and simple, they whooped them. And they let off the gas later on in the ballgame, but that's how Miami got back at least uh, uh, you know, 17 points or wherever it was. I think it was 44-17 was the final score, so they whooped them and Alabama right now looking like it's in midseason form you got Bryce Young tossing four touchdown passes looks like he could end up becoming the Heisman front runner after how uh, Spencer Radler played this last weekend against Tulane but with that being said you know you're talking about teams that are struggling in the SEC West and and Georgia looks like they're still living in 1990s with their offense against Clemson and granted Clemson's got a great defense Miami I mean the top three teams in the ACC lost you got Georgia Tech lost to Northern Illinois as well. I mean, Duke lost to Charlotte. And the, the ACC had a terrible weekend. Pac-12 went 6-6. Six and six. Washington was ranked, lost to Montana. Just so many teams across college football that you thought was going to be good. Iowa State struggled with Northern Iowa. Indiana got dominated by Iowa. So many teams across college football struggled this past weekend and did not look good. Wisconsin and Penn State hurt my eyes to watch that football game. Ugly. Absolutely ugly football game. I admire great defensive football games that finished 16 to 10 i like that the problem was it wasn't great defense it was just bad offense it was horrible football
1: miscommunications and missing field goals and even whenever penn state did score that that one touchdown it was a blown coverage it's like yeah, multiple
0: blown coverages across the top for wisconsin that
1: wasn't that wasn't great defense yeah Uh, so
0: like when i look at it i think nobody's gonna stay this bad all year long no everybody needs drastic improvement and folks will improve so Whereas we've had several callers say pump the brakes on Auburn because they were playing Akron, um, that is true. And Auburn looks complete at least against a great team or a bad team. Whereas other supposed great teams this year looked bad. I-, I wonder what how our opinions change after Week Two when Texas a and plays Colorado, Tennessee plays Pittsburgh, you know Ohio State and Oregon play. There are other good games here in Week Two where there are a little bit of measuring sticks for other programs that maybe didn't look great in week one sure sure i'll i will add on to that really quickly and
1: say that it was a really good week for the fcs i believe they had four upsets or four wins for the fcs good for them man good for them
0: <laughs> they're people too they are people too. <laughs> that's it for hour number one of on the line we'll be back with hour number two coming up at 3 p.m we got a packed hour number two we'll start it off with making headlines some stuff going around in college football today we'll be back in just a moment or toll-free at 888-382-7502. Hour number two of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central, Alabama. Fun show so far today. We gave our impressions of Auburn's 60-10 win over Akron. Not being able to beat a max school by six times their points. Wouldn't know what that's like, <clears throat> Texas A&M. <laughs> Number to call, 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. Packed hour number two coming up for you. We're going to start off with making headlines, bounce around college football a bit here, bringing you into week two now fully here on your Labor Day Monday. Of course, we do still have week one action tonight as Louisville and Ole Miss take on each other. Rebels, eight and a half point favorites. That has dropped a point and a half since last Friday when I was setting up our picks we didn't pick this game on the Friday edition of the show ran out of time so we're gonna pick it today but that has dropped a point and a half since we found out about Lane Kiffin
1: yeah and uh I think that's to be expected obviously whenever you you are not with your head coach week one and you uh, you know the theme of the first hour is like man a lot of teams in week one were just not prepared outside of maybe the top of like Georgia and Alabama and maybe Ohio State if you want to throw them in there as well but you know for for that line to move one and a half points I think that's fair based on what we've seen if you lose your head coach you know I would I would not feel very confident as a better after what I saw week one
0: getting into making headlines now our first headline of your Monday edition of on the line Minnesota star running back Muhammad Ibrahim Ibrahim excuse me is out for the rest of the season and it, it really,
1: really hurts because that was probably, probably their best player on roster. What may, it would, it would, it's what makes this offense for Minnesota go. 163 yards, 5.4 yards per carry against Ohio State. 1,000 yards in 2020. Uh, 604 yards in 2019. I believe he was one of the guys that just ran all over Auburn in that Outback Bowl. Really talented running back. And it's a shame whenever the game loses a guy like this.
0: This changes Minnesota's trajectory a little yeah. bit for me. Now, of course, you knew that if you were watching the ball game, you ventured out onto to Twitter. Of course, there were some Twitter doctors out there saying, you know, who knows what about what the injury was going to be, but it, it didn't look good, right? And he had 30 carries for 163 yards all that was that did all that like come in the first half or a little bit over the first half when did that injury occur
1: I'm not sure when it occurred but yeah I would assume that it was for they the-
0: played the majority of the second half without him yeah and if not the entire second half without him but you lose a guy that had 163 yards and only like half of a ball game two touchdowns you know what he, well you know what he means to the team and if you watch the game between Ohio State and Minnesota you saw Minnesota that their offense is not predicated off of throwing the football. Tanner Morgan only had 25 pass attempts as far as team rushing attempts for Minnesota, they had 50. They ran the ball twice the amount of times that they threw the ball. Now this falls squarely on the shoulders of Minnesota quarterback Tanner Morgan. You look at the second leading rusher from Minnesota in that ball game, Trayson Potts, 10 carries for 34 yards, 3.4 yards per carry. Drastically different look for Minnesota outside of Muhammad Ibrahim. The offense struggled a lot more in that second half without him than they did with him right and so um this is this could change the trajectory of this minnesota football team moving forward this year does it change them does it take away their
1: ability to get to a bowl game do you think
0: i don't know i think that there are a lot of beatable teams especially in their division they play in the weaker division in the big 10 traditionally i wasn't overly impressed with wisconsin or or you know illinois loses to utsa over the weekend uh their final three games you can pretty much there's going to be a really difficult final three games for them against Iowa Indiana and Wisconsin if they can handle their business though prior to that I think they can get to a bowl game they've got Miami Ohio at Colorado Bowling Green at home at Purdue host Nebraska Maryland at home Northwestern on the road Illinois at home I think the best teams of that group there Colorado didn't look horrible this weekend I think Colorado could beat them um I think that Purdue could beat them. I think Nebraska can beat them. And I think Illinois and Maryland can beat them. So, I mean, those are, you know, four teams there. I think Northwestern's awful. Bowling Green's obviously awful. And I think Miami, Ohio's awful. So, there's, you can find three wins out of that seven. But the other ones are are severely in question. I think those other teams could could go toe-to-toe with them.
1: Yeah. Maryland looked good this Saturday. Maryland and uh, Tua's little brother uh, looked really, really good.
0: I don't think that we can call him Tua's little brother anymore. He's, he's played well through sure. through a year in a game Talia's looked good <laughs> sure I know that's not what you meant I'm just saying oh, I yeah. hope I hope folks understand that this kid's a baller that he's good like he, he's not Tua but he's good yeah I hope people disengage from saying oh every time he steps out there on the field I hope this isn't a Jarrett Stidham is from Texas moment I hope <laughs> I hope they're not you know every single is saying, oh he's the brother of, you know Tua Tagovailoa it's like No, up like the guy's good though let leave him alone just let this be his team right yeah 319
1: yards three touchdowns and a win against West Virginia I mean pretty pretty solid based on you know Maryland as a program it's it's really good numbers
0: second headline here standing the Big Ten with a major injury Michigan's top wide receiver Ronnie Bell is out for the rest of the season with a knee injury yeah and that
1: that's another thing where it's like you look at Minnesota's or rather Michigan's trajectory as a program and you're like does this hamper them from getting to a bowl game because he had a little over 400 receiving yards in 2020 had 750 in 2019 but their offense outside of him I mean they seem to be clicking on all cylinders so uh, this is one of those where it's like I think it's a I think it's a less important loss than than e- 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 uh, Ibrahim um, not to say that Ronnie Bell's not a talented player by no means but uh, I, I feel like Michigan can can get past this loss a little bit better than better than Minnesota uh, Minnesota can
0: it's not like they lost a running back once again you talk about teams and how their pass run splits went this past weekend Michigan ran the ball 43 times to 17 pass attempts Cade McNamara looked good at quarterback 9 for 11 for 136 yards two touchdowns had an 89.9 adjusted quarterback rating but at the end of the day Michigan wants to put this thing on the ground and run Hassan Haskins and Blake Corum two guys that pretty much split the snaps evenly at running back 14 carries for Corum 13 carries for Haskins both of those guys averaged uh, a significant amount of yards per carry Quorum at 7.9 Haskins at 5.4 of course it was against Western Michigan but Western Michigan is pegged as one of the best teams at least going into this year In preview magazines Western Michigan has been pegged as a favorite for the Mac this year Michigan went out there looked pretty good 47 14
1: yeah again their their offense was a lot was was very complete and like you said they want to control that ground game losing Ronnie Bell is probably not the biggest thing for them
0: losing Zach Charbonnet though to UCLA that was a big thing yeah (laughs) that kind
1: of hurt after seeing Charbonnet after two uh, after two weeks yeah that that was that was a big loss
0: I bring up Michigan though because they play currently it won't be for long when the AP poll comes out tomorrow they play once again for now it's a top 25 Washington team they lost to Montana so they will fall out of the top 25 but right now a number 20 Washington team at 7 p.m on ABC next Saturday chance for Michigan to uh I don't want to say make a statement because once again Washington lost to Montana but to create a little bit of a springboard for them they could be 4-0 after September because if they beat Washington they play Northern Illinois after that Rutgers after that Rutgers is a winnable game now don't be sleeping on Rutgers I think Rutgers is you know we saw improvement from them last year this year Greg Schiano seems to have them in a much better situation talk about teams that put up 60 points in week one Rutgers was in that club so I'm just saying <laughs> But that, that'll be kind of that game where I'm looking at Michigan I'm like, all right, are you going to a bowl game or not? Right. Because they, they get Rutgers for their first Big Ten game. If they can beat them, I feel confident that they could beat a Northwestern. Michigan State didn't look bad this weekend. It's a tough schedule for Michigan. They need to go 4-0 and through September. And this game against Washington this Saturday, important game for Michigan, and they'll be doing it without their top wide receiver, Ronnie Bill
1: yeah and I, I, I'll, I'll add this on top of that you know Washington and Michigan I would have I would have assumed had Washington won that game against Montana that that's where uh, college game day would have decided to go but they ended up going with uh, Iowa and Iowa State um, which is not after seeing Iowa State play you know it, it's it's going to be a fun matchup
0: I'm I'll here for it though right I mean Iowa dominated Indiana of course here, here's the thing we've we saw Iowa State last year I know you. I know Iowa State lost to Louisiana last year in a blowout. Yep. And what happened?
1: They bounced back in a big way.
0: Turned it around. You know, went to the Big Twelve Conference title game. So I'm not going to write off Iowa State here early for their struggles against Northern Iowa. Typically a pretty good FCS school as well. But it didn't didn't look good. I'm pumped that this is where game day is going.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's what I was saying. I was like, it should be a fun matchup. Like I, either of those games, you look at the week two slate just all across the board. I mean, there aren't a ton of like really really fun matchups, but Iowa State and there's a Iowa,
0: handful of ones that you should keep your eye on. There though.
1: are absolutely, but in terms of like top twenty five, like ooh, that's that's like incredibly appealing. I mean, Texas and Arkansas is going to be fun for sure. um You know, M- NC State, Mississippi State is going to be fun. Missouri,
0: Kentucky, Ohio State, Oregon, Ohio
1: State, Oregon. That would have been a game that they could have chosen to go to Pittsburgh, Tennessee. But as far as like you know rivalries go, and these two teams being in the top, I I, I'm assuming that I was going to be either really close to the top fifteen or in the top fifteen. This is going to be a really fun matchup. Iowa State favored by four. The over/under in this game is uh, forty-five, so not a lot of points expected to be scored in this matchup.
0: There shouldn't be. <laughs> What's the line at right now? Out uh, the gates.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, Iowa State is favored by four right now. Interesting.
0: It's in it's in Ames.
1: It is in Ames. Yes. Okay.
0: They had a sellout crowd this past weekend, so Iowa State they care they care now football school. they are a something athletic school now they're no longer just kind of a, a rotating wheel between basketball and football i think they're squarely a football school now moving on to our third headline here in our making headlines segment UCLA creates Ed Orgeron inspired t-shirts that say sissy blue on it yeah and like are, are you gonna buy a sissy blue t-shirt it looks
1: ugly yeah. not a fan of the t-shirt <laughs> I looks was about ugly. to say I'm not I'm probably not gonna get a sissy blue t-shirt but I think they could that, have put like Ed Orgeron's
0: face on it or sure, something yeah. like if they had done that then I might have done it yeah
1: <laughs> but yeah the, the concept I think is funny but I don't know if like I think there are a lot of UCLA fans out there that are gonna think it's funny are gonna be like yeah that's hilarious all right we beat LSU but I don't know if it's going to like sell well Uh, but it's it's a cool it's a cool thing i think it's funny i think it's i think it's fun to troll on social media with things like that
0: people don't know what we're talking about ed orgeron was uh interacting with a ucla fan prior to the ball game was walking into the stadium and there was a ucla fan that i think said something to him first and ed orgeron was bring your bleep on with your sissy blue shirt and i thought it was hilarious so i'm here for
1: it (laughs) yeah i'm here for it as well
0: mainly because he got whooped uh (laughs) so I find that absolutely fascinating. But moving on to our fourth one here, our fourth headline in making headlines. This is one that's not going to appeal to a ton of people so we won't stick around with it real quick. I just find it interesting when coaches announce that they're going to retire after their second football game of the season. UConn head coach Randy Edsel announced that he will retire at season's end. Of course, Randy Edsel now has faded away, very much so into the background. Thanos-like snap to Randy Edsel's career since he went to Maryland. But if you'll remember... UConn in the you know early 2010s, they went to a BCS bowl game and played against Florida State. You know, looking how far away that program is from that moment when they were eight and four Big East champions playing against Florida State in the Fiesta Bowl. You know, there was a couple of back-to-back years where, or maybe they played Oklahoma. Somebody they played in a BCS game in the Fiesta Bowl. Mm-hmm. Because I remember Northern Illinois played like Florida State or Oklahoma or somebody like that as well. There were a couple of years where you had UConn and Northern Illinois in BCS games. I'm glad we've gotten away from that now, and that's not acceptable anymore. But, you know, it, it, you see Randy Edsel and how far his career has gone from being really successful at UConn to going to Maryland, failing, coming back to UConn, and now the program very much so looks like it should go back to the FCS rather than stay in the FBS and its current trajectory. I just don't understand the decision by coaches to say, I'm retiring after they lose after they start out 0 and 2 because for me that seems like you're waving the white flag. Yeah,
1: I, I, that's kind of what I was gonna say. As far as like you know, Edsel, I I feel bad whenever coaches do this because it just shows for all these players that are on roster that the season's over. That the season's over and that you've given up. And if he's retiring, I mean, at, at this point, after seeing UConn play two games, I think the program should as well. I mean, they they did not look good and they lost what by a ten to Holy Cross uh, this week. Yeah,
0: losing to Holy Cross thirty-eight to twenty-eight and then announcing your retirement like that that seems like odd timing to me. Yeah, just cancel the program. Of course, you know, FCS teams, man, they represented this past weekend. Yes, Poor Vanderbilt 23 to 3. Uh, moving to the nfl now the houston texans named veteran tyrod taylor their starting quarterback there we go no deshaun watson D- is
1: is, Ro- is watson still on roster or did they uh release I believe him? so they released. i have him. not
0: seen anything about deshaun watson's release he's still on the team okay well deshaun watson will sit
1: in, in which case i would not be surprised if uh watson is either released or traded at some point in the future and it'll be interesting to see where he goes but tyrod taylor uh, the definition of a journeyman at this point I mean he's been all over the place to, uh, and I, I hope uh, that he's able to stay healthy for for a full season in order in, in order to show what he's capable of
0: moving to our last headline of our making headline segment the Atlanta Braves 4-8 and eight over their last 12 games they split with the Rockies in a four-game series 2-2 two two, but they still hold a two-game lead atop the NL East as they start a series with the Washington Nationals tomorrow a chance that they need to write the ship now there's no time for struggling against divisional opponents that are not very good or
1: going two and two against the Rockies and I know the Rockies aren't completely terrible but that's an opportunity where you you can bounce back and then get this national series and then really take off but yeah Atlanta is uh is cutting it really close here and I just hope that they're able to hang on to their lead
0: I think the Phillies are are like six and four, or seven and three over their last ten. They're surging at the moment. Of course, they've had a little bit easier of a of a schedule than what the Braves were encountering over their last six to ten games, somewhere in there. But it's definitely, uh, or I should say, ten games. Yeah, definitely. The Braves last ten has been a has been a struggle between the Rockies, Dodgers, Giants. That was not going to be an easy run. But now they've got to they've got to get back on their horse. They got to bounce back against the Nationals here and try and you know. Resolidify themselves atop of the division because they had as much as a five and a half game lead atop of the East back before they got into that Dodger series, and that got erased rather quickly. Let's take a quick break here. When we come back, we will take a look at that Louisville old Miss game tonight. Rebels favored by eight and a half. We'll give you our picks when we come back. Hour number two of On the line Noah Gardner and Lance Dog with you on ESPN 1067 and Fox Sports Central, Alabama. Just ran through our Making Headlines segment. Bounced around some news going around college football, some injuries coming out. Of course, I want to stay with Making Headlines really quick. Something to add. Brian Harson had his media availability earlier today at 1.30 p.m. and said that he's hopeful that Jalen Simpson will get back out there at practice this week, hoping that that injury that he suffered against Akron isn't too serious.
1: Yeah, and uh, it's a, it's a, it's good to see some of Auburn's, again, depth players in the secondary coming back because after seeing what those guys did um you know they're they're gonna need all the help they can get I feel like
0: instead of doing our predictions here we'll save that for our last segment of the show so we will get to our predictions for Louisville Ole Miss tonight let's go back to a topic that we scrapped from earlier that we've had to push back a little bit which conference had the best weekend on Saturday yeah I think it's got
1: to be the SEC going twelve and two because you look at some of these other Power Five conferences and they did not look incredibly impressive. I think I'm going to go with the SEC and uh, had LSU managed to pull out a win over uh, over UCLA, I would say that the that the SEC is far and above some of these other Power Five conf- conferences.
0: It wouldn't have even been close yeah. had LSU beaten UCLA. That was like the one. That's the one issue that you had with the league this past weekend SEC goes 11-2 and now that's not to say that everybody looked great but when you compare the SEC to other leagues in college football like the ACC and the Pac-12 you're like man at least we're not those guys right like Kent State <laughs> may have been holding A&M to 10-3 at halftime and Louisiana Tech may have had their game-winning field goal blocked by Mississippi State but still man like you look across the other conferences you're like man at least we're not those guys big 12 had a great weekend nine one but they didn't play anybody
1: yeah well i'll say on top of that the teams that the big 12 did play i mean some of their teams struggled baylor only won by nine against a really bad opponent oklahoma state beat missouri state 23 to 16 hey lance you don't just walk into
0: san marcos texas and push around the texas state bobcats
1: that's true that's true i'm sorry i'm sorry For- forgive me uh texas tech was losing uh to houston uh i believe it was it was like midway through the third quarter and then they started to pull away from him uh iowa state looked really bad against uh, northern iowa 16 to 10
0: the final score there oklahoma beat tulane by five like man unless that defense takes tremendous strides forward and that i do not have major optimism for so forget everything that I said in the preseason about that defense being good enough we overestimated that defense based off of a bowl game against Florida that clearly Florida just must have not have cared about yeah yeah I I completely agree with
1: everything (laughs) you said there Kansas got a win over uh, South Dakota I mean that's huge
0: they stormed the field
1: That is so awesome it was so 17
0: to 14 win over South Dakota and they stormed the field
1: yeah i uh i know i know a a big kansas fan that was at the game and he was like man i could not tell you how stupid i felt doing it but it was fun
0: it was right it It felt right yeah Yeah, sec goes 11 and 2 murdered the acc between georgia handling clemson the way they did i know they only won 10 to 3 but dj Ungalele's performance was so poor and clemson's offensive performance was so poor that the, despite the fact that they only lost by a touchdown it, it it leaves you with a gross feeling when you think about Clemson for this upcoming year gave up seven sacks it was very Auburn-esque you remember that game that Auburn lost to Clemson back in 2017 where they gave yep. up 13 sacks that was what that was like yeah you talk about
1: preparation early in the season with these some of these Auburn teams that that was one of the games that came to mind for me Jeez, at least it was against Clemson
0: though right yeah, and, sure. and Clemson's thinking well at least it was least it was against Georgia but I'm not so certain right now. Of course it was against Georgia. Maybe Georgia's just just wild right on defense. Maybe just maybe Georgia's just got to figure it figured out this year and, and I don't think we know that yet. I, and and you know Clemson's got a great defense as well, but I'm still just not sold that Georgia's offense is in a place where it needs to be at to win the SEC against Alabama the way that they can produce on that side of the ball in the way that they looked this past weekend. You know, there's still 11 games left for all these teams and teams will be much further along in week 12 than where they're at right now and and this that game between Georgia and Clemson will be an afterthought potentially because those two teams have the talent to be able to change the script on their season. But NC State looked really good in the Atlantic Division. Boston College looked really good. Of course, these teams were playing, you know, really really bad teams. You know, Boston College was playing Toothpaste and Colgate and then nc state was playing usf but both of those teams had shut out wins i thought florida state played above their weight class last night against notre dame they need to figure some things out at quarterback but florida state of course lived up to our expectations for that football game we thought it would be close i know you had them winning i had it close at least <laughs> i just I, had to throw that in there. <laughs> i
1: i y'all, before we got on air i kind of kind of let the steam out on how i feel felt about florida state and mike norvell Man, that was painful to watch. They should have won that game in, but my, to be in fair, my mind. There are
0: other Atlantic teams that could trip Clemson up, and now they already have a loss. Yeah. Clemson has not just been, you know, of course they, they have ran the table and have gone undefeated several times under Dabo Sweeney, but they haven't been opposed to the loss before, you know? They have been upset by a Syracuse at the in, in a midseason football game before. They have not. They have not always just gone undefeated every single year, and I think there are some teams of quality in the Atlantic Division this year. Haven't gotten to see Louisville yet. We'll get to see them tonight, but NC State looked good this weekend. Boston College looked good this weekend, and Florida State, there's some room to grow if they can get their quarterback
1: play yeah, right. If they can just, t- just take Travis out of the game. Yeah. When it, whenever you, whenever it's, it's finally time to take Travis out of the game, take him out and don't leave him in there, then they'll be good.
0: But if Clemson were to lose another game in the ACC, they're done they're not going the ACC losing their top 3 ranked teams like all three ranked teams lost this past weekend with the ACC and I guess now we're getting to our second topic here which conference had the worst weekend on Saturday I think you got to go ACC went 6 and 5 but all ranked teams lost they are in a position now where if Clemson loses there is not a playoff with an ACC the, the this playoff will not have an ACC team in it I wonder where that loss
1: comes to it comes from on their schedule cuz you you get you get on the road at nc state in week four and then you have to go on the road a few weeks later against pittsburgh but i mean other than that i don't really see a loss on their schedule
0: and and very well they could like i said week one it's week one the script can flip easily with these teams that have tons of talent on like we know with clemson Mm -hmm. the offensive line was not very good and thus off of that dj ugly performed poorly but you remember we were talking about Clemson's spring game back in april and we talked about how bad that offense looked in their spring game. Yep. Did they not lose their spring game? The first team offense didn't win.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's like yep. DJ Ungelele's team did not win the spring game.
1: We we might have. I know it's really difficult to put stock in spring games, but we might have needed to uh, to look at that a little bit closer because it, uh, it, uh, it it was the the storylines coming out of that spring game. Turned out to be very true in terms of, oh, Clemson's defense is really good, but their offense is going to struggle if, if, they play, if they play a really good team like Georgia.
0: And that's exactly what's happened here. Once again, the ACC, you broke down their schedule. That, you know where, Where's the loss coming to? It's not, a, it's not a tough schedule for Clemson. So they can afford to circle games against an NC State and a Boston College and if, and if Clemson really badly wants to beat those football teams, they're going to beat those football teams. Right. So it's hard to find a loss on there for them. But I wouldn't be shocked if it comes at some point this year. I would not and, either. And, and, that's, and maybe you and I, were, we were talking about this, about how important it was for Georgia to win this ballgame. On Friday we said that it was more important for Georgia to beat Clemson. My thoughts on that may have changed now that we've seen Clemson lose this game the way that they did. It's how they lost the game. Because if their offense literally struggles like this against an NC State, struggles like this against a Boston College, which, by the way, they have those back-to-back, if they suffer another loss on this schedule that where they just slept on somebody, it's over. They're not going to the playoff. They're not going to put a two-loss ACC team in there.
1: And they have to play on the road against Louisville. And That's uh, not even get to the ACC title game either. Right. And uh, at the end of the season, I'm going to say this as somewhat of a joke, they have to play on the road at South Carolina, which, look – I don't know what South Carolina's trajectory is offensively right now. They looked good against Eastern Illinois, but that could be a game where if Clemson is truly struggling at the end of the season, it could be a game where they struggle because it's a rivalry game. There's,
0: you could look anywhere on this schedule for a potential, like at Syracuse and at Pittsburgh, sounds like a loss somewhere in there, right? Now, mm-hmm. I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. It was just week one, pump the brakes. They lost to a good football team and a great defense at Georgia 10-3, to right? right? That was literally fire meets steel okay it was a great ball game those two teams played really well against each other but i think that there, there's some real concerns there if the offense doesn't get things going T- clemson is playing a very fine line right now georgia if georgia had lost like 34 to 27 i would have been like okay georgia's probably going to run the table again this year they got a pretty good offense they scored some points against that defense right but like georgia's now put themselves in the driver's seat if they could get their offense right to, to even still you know that to lose the sec championship game and, and make the college football playoff and it's with gonna, this win
1: it's gonna really stink when they lose to auburn in a few weeks that's gonna that's gonna really really rip them
0: a new one so looking down the line in the schedule i'm just gonna gloss over that but looking down the line if clemson loses again you know who's taking their playoff spot georgia,
2: georgia yeah.
0: it'll be georgia that's how important that football game was on saturday 30 minutes left here in the Monday edition of On the Line. When we come back, we talk about where were we right where were we right? Where were we wrong? A lot of W's there. All of those words in that sentence starts with a W. Wow, go figure. Tongue twister. We'll be back with more of on the line. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. 30 minutes left in the Labor Day edition of On the Line. Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. It's time for our Point Broadband High School Player of the Week. And this week's is Lee Scott Academy's Tate McKelvey. The senior quarterback was four for five, passing with 51 yards and a touchdown, adding 20 carries on the ground for 114 yards and a score, while also having three catches for 27 yards and the dramatic 23-22 win over rival Glenwood at halftime. Get this, a quarterback at halftime. McKelvey led the Warriors in both, or in all three of these categories, passing, rushing, and receiving. He was leading passer, leading rusher, and leading receiver at halftime, a quarterback the Warriors are 1-1 overall and 1-0 in region play on the year with a game against Pike coming up this Friday. Tate McKelvey, your Point Broadband High School Player of the Week. Point Broadband, smarter, faster, fiber internet, point-broadband.com. And
1: Noah, that was a game that you got to call, and going into it, it kind of felt like Glenwood was uh was the better football team but that was not the case after seeing after that half where lee scott got up with the 10 point lead it was like oh even though glenwood was leading 15 to 10 at halftime it still felt like lee scott was very much so in it and then they went on to win
0: that's right second half was incredible incredible football game one of the most fun football games that i've been around that is going into my i'm I'm logging that in my data banks and my memories of just great games that i've been able to call in my life and to see them Look, if folks don't keep up with the ISA football, they may not understand the how how big of a win that was for the Lee Scott football program. I mean, Lee Scott has had a losing season for the last three years. Went two and seven last year. Glenwood goes to the state championship pretty much every single season. They lost the state title game last year to Pike. Glenwood beat Lee Scott last year fifty-one to seven. Th- these seniors hadn't experienced a victory over Glenwood, and they, they, you know, you look on the other side of Glenwood. Glenwood has a guy that's a top twenty-five overall player in the country. In the 2023 class, A.J. Harris, he didn't play in this ball game, of course, but you talk about quality and talent, Glenwood has a lot of it. And Lee Scott went out there, and this coaching staff talk, talked a lot about, uh, you know, I, I go to practice throughout the week and talk to these coaches a lot, and they, they talk about these guys turning the corner. And, and to get these guys to continue to grow. And this is the second year for head coach Buster Daniel, who we have on the program uh, once a week, and we'll be looking forward to that conversation later on this week with him. He, you can see the growth in the program. You can see these guys from hitting the weight room, from, from watching film, you can see them grow as football players, but you, you can also see them growing up as, as young men. And it, it was really exciting to kind of see that finally turn the corner against Glenwood on, on Friday night. It, it was more than just winning a football game. It was seeing these guys grow up. And 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 really, you know, be, you know, coming to their own as football players or coming to their own as a football program and believing that they can do it—that was what was so exciting about seeing a win like that on Friday night. Was that you know you see young kids go and do something like this? It's it's a it's a cool thing. See what the good Lord can do in all of us and see what hard work can do. It's it feels good when you finally see something like that come to fruition. Yeah, and
1: congratulations to McKelvey for uh you know not necessarily I guess putting the team on his back but but being being the guy that got it done on offense
0: man and the game plan was get him the football right like right. he, he they they rotate in two different quarterbacks a lot of times Ryan Deering also another quarterback that'll play but game plan is get the ball at Tate McKelvey's hands when I talk about a guy leading that passing rushing and receiving at halftime that's crazy but let's get back to college football here. Let's take a look at where we were right, where we were wrong this past weekend. Of course, these are initial reactions. But Lance, where were some areas that you were right this past weekend? Because you and I kind of split some hairs a little bit on certain
1: things. The two things that I was I was right on, one of them I don't feel good about, one of them I, I, I do feel good about, were the two Big Ten matchups that we uh, picked, Iowa versus Indiana and then Penn State versus Wisconsin. I just said I had a weird gut feeling that – uh, Penn State was going to win their game, and then uh, or rather, uh, Indiana was going to lose theirs to Iowa, and both those things happened. And I don't feel good at all about the Penn State game. I mean, I didn't feel confident picking it. I don't, don't want to take ownership of that. But the Iowa game, I do want to take on, o- ownership of. I, I, I kind of just had this weird feeling, you know, that Indiana was it a fluke? What happened last season? I know it's only Week One, but they did not look, they did not look very good uh, against the the Hawkeyes
0: pinnocks with three interceptions two of which were pick sixes of course iowa did not score but three points in the second half so all the damage was done really in the first half where it was 31 to three game finishes at 34 to six areas where i was right georgia i was right about beating clemson uh not a lot of folks were out there picking georgia a lot of folks were sticking with clemson in that game georgia lived up to the billing I was right about Bama not even keep like like it wasn't even going to be close that Miami was just going to get destroyed ripped apart which is exactly what happened and then uh last thing I'll run w- uh last thing I'll run with with something that I was right on I'll uh I'll go with Mississippi State I'll go with Mississippi State with something that I was right on I expect Mississippi State to be really bad and they looked like it this past weekend against Louisiana Tech
1: yeah and uh there there were some uh surprises across college football this weekend but to to get the two big 10 matchups right was like yeah okay sure there were not a lot of things that i predicted that were uh that were 100 accurate
0: though over the weekend everybody in the studio went five and four on our predictions sting went five and four you went five and four i went five and four but we all had like vastly different routes to getting to five and four like we had some we had some big differences there when we were picking some ball games and which is great but now we have to focus on improvement gentlemen it's okay to go five and four week one we can't keep doing that Unless college football is just a wild year this year, things that we were wrong about, Lance, or yeah. could we have done
1: better? Well, for me personally, uh, the Clemson Georgia matchup did not did not look deep enough into that matchup. Uh, you you obviously got that right. I I stuck with Clemson because I thought the the, the injuries on Georgia's uh, the, on the offensive side of the football would just simply be too much. But that that was not the case. They 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 managed to uh, to get it done, uh, even though their only touchdown was a pick six, but. Uh, I think another area that I was wrong on, and I I feel awful about this because I feel like I I got robbed personally as as somebody that predicted this game. It's almost like Mike Norvell knew that I'd picked this game and he wanted to just kind of like keep it close but not actually win it. Florida State losing to Notre Dame in overtime, 41 to 38. I picked no. I picked Florida State to cover and then win that game outright. I've been saying it for months. Did not happen. Uh, al- although I will say, not putting Mackenzie Milton out there until you absolutely had to. Felt like not not the greatest decision in the world and then there were a couple of other play calling decisions throughout the entire game that were really really weird to me specifically that fourth down uh in their own territory when when florida state lined up went for it and i believe they went wildcat again and just straight up didn't get get anywhere close to it it was just some really confusing stuff from florida state um I feel like they definitely had an opportunity to win that game, and uh, Jack Cohn. you know, we called him a game manager, we called him that he wasn't very good, and that he wouldn't be able to do a whole lot this season, but four touchdowns, and I know he had that one interception, but it was that Hail Mary at halftime, you, you know, you could just kind of chalk that up to whatever, but he uh, he looked pretty good. And uh, I'm
0: going to chalk that up to a bad Florida State defense yeah. here early on. I'm still not sold there, but they they did look the the Notre Dame defense does not look very good at, at this on at this stage the fact that Florida State still scored 38 points with those two quarterbacks I mean McKenzie Milton like uh, didn't look amazing I mean he came in and played really well it's a great story right but like it's not like he looked amazing it's not like Jordan Travis looked good either he looked he looked very poor he had three interceptions areas where I was wrong you were right about this Wisconsin lost um at halftime you look at Wisconsin they have 12 first downs Penn State has one and I'm like, all right. It's just game one. Things will work out, and Wisconsin will still find a way to win this football game. And then they blew the coverage early in that third quarter. Penn State score I was like, uh-oh. So points are about points are on the scoreboard now, and right. Wisconsin was not the first one to score. And that was going to have to accelerate what Wisconsin wanted to do from an offensive standpoint, which further created more miscues. Graham Mertz dropping the football on a handoff in the red zone. just The, the, the horrible play call that Paul Crist had from Wisconsin when they got into the red zone just repeated abuse just running the ball over and over and over and over again not throwing the ball beyond the first down marker they couldn't stretch the field I have serious questions about the Wisconsin football team moving forward from an offensive standpoint I thought things were going to be better for them this year I I was wrong
1: I'll say another thing that I I think both of us were wrong about, Noah, is North Carolina going up to Blacksburg and losing to Virginia Tech. I love how on Friday, (laughs) I think this was my exact quote, I was like, you know, this would be a really huge win for Justin Fuente and Virginia Tech, like a, a really good... Uh, coaching career win, like it would be a a a, a staple in his coaching. It's a career.
0: defibrillator to his career at Virginia Tech.
1: Yeah, and it would, but I, I then followed it up by saying, but it's not going to happen. Notre or North Carolina's offense is just way too talented, and Sam Howell is too good of a quarterback, and he. uh Proceeded to throw in three interceptions and man, their offensive line could not do a whole lot. Do
0: you see the one where he was getting tackled and like spun around and like throws yes. it just into the wind? Yes. Just like, there's not gonna be there. It's like that meme where, where you're like, ah, somebody'll be there. Yeah. He just throws it up. It's like, what it was are the, you
1: doing? The meme last year with Bo Nicks and Seth Williams, was like, oh, he's gonna be down there somewhere. Yeah. He's like launch <laughs> it as far as you can into the sky. But yeah, that was it's it there were there were plays by Howell where it's like obviously he's under duress, but it's like uh, the Hank Bachmeyer situation and UCF. Like obviously, it's a high pressure pressure situation. But what are you doing? Like it, and it,
0: nobody it, knows.
1: <laughs> it cost them. It cost them a uh, a huge game. Uh, and we were talking about this a little bit off air it's like the the uh, the ACC uh, Atlantic correct or
0: is, it, is it's, it's the coastal a coastal, coastal is a, is a uh, dumpster fire at the moment yeah. Virginia Tech's in the driver's seat for it's sure a,
1: something that uh, intern Sting brought up during one of the breaks is like well there's been like a different winner of that division over like the past seven straight years isn't that right
5: yeah beginning with uh, Florida State's first ACC championship with Jameis Winston in 2013 I believe they played Duke that season beginning with that game a different team represented the Coastal Division in the ACC Championship game for the next seven years. I believe it was Duke, then Georgia Tech. Virginia's, I, I I mean, Virginia. I want to Do you just want to name the
0: entire, entire Coastal because that's seven years? If seven you can, teams, teams, right, yeah. if you can it's do it seven, in order, seven,
5: teams in seven years. I think it was Duke, Georgia Tech, maybe Pittsburgh. Virginia Tech? No, Pittsburgh came later. I think it was Virginia Tech. Virginia? No, Virginia was last. North Virginia Carolina? Was, yeah, it was North Carolina, then Virginia Tech, and then Miami, Pitt, Virginia
0: brutal 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 <laughs> the oh, coastal man. is bad right now pittsburgh looked good week one sorry tennessee that's a loss 51-7 was Pence, uh, was pittsburgh's week one victory um pittsburgh came into the year and of course it was against umass but pittsburgh's defense is something that they've they've had right the offense has been a question on pittsburgh uh with how bad tennessee looked on thursday night offensively and how out of rhythm they looked i wouldn't be shocked if pittsburgh wins that ball game this week um but still you look at it in the acc coastal division virginia tech's in the driver's seat north carolina is now playing behind for the rest of the season of course there will be if you know the coastal division there will be a ton of losses to teams will lose games that they should not lose i would not be shocked if virginia tech found a way to lose to duke later on in the year duke just lost to charlotte all right but you say that, and like I, I would be willing to bet money that
1: exactly what you just said
0: happened. <laughs> and if it does, we will remind folks. But then Miami still, you have to remember, although they got taken apart by Alabama, we don't know what they look like against ACC competition, and they are still and O in the ACC. So nobody's really playing from behind right now other than North Carolina, but Virginia Tech, with that win over UNC, beat Miami, and this is your division.
1: Yeah, and, but 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 like you said, it's going to be an interesting path uh, at the end of the day end of the day to uh, see who comes out on top because it's been somebody different for seven years now
0: and there's a lot of time before virginia tech plays miami they play miami's second to last game of the year november 20th yep. so there's a lot of damage that can be done in the coastal so virginia tech could not even get the momentum boost that is locking down the coastal division by beating miami in a september or early october matchup they don't get that. They have to They have to play the full season, which I'm not sure Virginia Tech has the quality to do. Good defense, offense have major questions about. Um, where else were we wrong this weekend? I'm going to go to the Pac-12. I'm going to say specifically Washington. You and I played a lot of in, on defense, or out, and I liked that Washington team a lot. I thought I liked Washington enough to take them over Oregon in that division. I still don't know if I like Oregon because of how they played against Fresno State. Pac-12 is definitely in contention for having the worst weekend of all the power five conferences can we just call it the power three now and
1: take the big 12 and Pac 12 out because the big 12 is going to not they won't be a pack or a power five
0: conference here in just a couple of years and the Pac Twelve's already there. i've got it all right we'll keep the acc we'll keep the big 10 we'll keep the sec like you just said we will make the big 12 and the Pac 12 combine they will they will join and merge and we will call it the pack three and a half <laughs> there we
1: go oh i love that that's fantastic yeah absolutely and then we'll have the power three and then yeah there yes i love that
0: power three and a half perfect but the mountain the bottom of the pac-12 is as bad as the mountain west because you look nevada beat cal wasn't particularly close byu beat arizona well what other uh mountain west conference team won this weekend over a pac-12 team utah state beat washington state yes man what is going on
1: yeah, they, they look – although I will say this, Nevada and Carson Strong, their quarterback, I mean – They're good. They, they're, they're, pretty, they're a pretty good football team. But, but man, you should –
0: Even you're, the top if, struggled, though. Yeah,
1: if you're a Power 5 school, you shouldn't be losing to Nevada regardless of whether or not they have an NFL quarterback. Like, he, he, Carson Strong is not that good.
0: Utah, it took them late to pull away from Weber State or Weber State, excuse me. Arizona State handled Southern Utah easily, but they should have, of course – UCLA is the best team in the Pac-12 right now. USC didn't look great against San Jose State. I think USC could have beaten LSU, but I'm still not completely sold that they would have because it took them a while to pull away from San Jose State. That was a close game. Oregon was tied with Fresno State going into the fourth quarter. Of course, we know about Washington getting beat by Montana 13-7. to Stanford got trounced by Kansas State 24-7. to Can't wait to see those guys play Vanderbilt. That'll be fun. Oregon State gets beat by Purdue, and then already mentioned all of the Mountain West Conference schools that came in. And all—I mean, the Mountain West almost swept. The Mountain West had a winning record against the Pac-12 this past week. And San Jose State and Fresno State looked good against Oregon and USC, two of the better teams in the Pac-12. It was thirteen to seven
1: USC heading into the fourth quarter. It was San Jose State was down by less than a touchdown heading into the fourth quarter against the University of Southern California. Had I said that, had somebody told me that just like three or four seasons ago, I would have been like, what on earth is going on?
0: You know, I'm in year seven or eight. I can't remember right now. My NCAA football dynasty on NCAA football 14. I'm the head coach at San Jose State. It's been a slow progression, but we're the number one team in the nation right now. Uh, We eat teams like USC for breakfast.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And you've got a a Heisman candidate in your quarterback.
0: Yeah, that's right, man. That's right. Nick Starkle threw for over 300 yards in this game, though. He looked pretty good, but... Yeah, Pac-12, not that we thought it was going to be good, but I had different impressions of Oregon and Washington going into this season than maybe what we've gotten right out the gates. Pac-12 is another one of those leagues that needs some severe improvement at the top or else it's going to be a tough season. They've got a real opportunity to get into the playoff. Big 12... I'm not sold that Oklahoma's not going to lose to Kansas State again this year. (laughs) You know, like the the Big 12 has constantly took themselves out of it. Are you so sure that that won't happen this year? Clemson is a loss away from not making the playoff. I'm feeling very good after week one. I, I think you could see two SEC teams, Alabama and Georgia, and then the other conferences are going to be hand fighting for the last spot. Are you sure that Ohio State's going to go undefeated? The other leagues have some severe questions that they have to answer starting now yeah
1: I, I completely agree with what you just said because you look at the big 12 it's like I'm not so sure that there's a surefire like 100% like this team is going to win the big 12 and I know Oklahoma is probably the favorite they won by five against are Tulane. they
0: though are they
1: I, I th- Texas looked pretty good Texas looked pretty good but I just don't know if Texas is going to be able to get over the hump you know
0: we'll know more about them this week against arkansas you know tcu
1: is is i think is going to be in the mix oklahoma state winning by six against uh missouri state uh, is our seven rather is just not not very impressive i mean there there's there's some teams at the top of that league iowa state uh did not look good although we saw something very similar happen last season the big 12 is going to be interesting to watch i think like you just said a lot of conferences need to kind of figure out themselves and what's going on at the top because there's not a lot of uh surefire programs that like know what they're doing
0: let's head to a quick break here when we come back we wrap up the show and give you our prediction between louisville and old miss hey. wrapping up the monday edition of on the line noah gardner and lance Dahl with you today Got about two minutes left in the show until the drive with Bill Cameron and Dan Peck. Stay tuned for them from 4 to 6 p.m. as they recap the Auburn-Akron game as we did today. And if you missed any of today's show, go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Time for some predictions here. Gentlemen, Lance goes 14-4 and four here on the year so far. Sting as well, 14-4. and four. And I am trailing behind at 13-5. and five. We all went 5-4 and four this past Friday and Saturday combined. And last night with Notre Dame-Florida State, now we're on to Ole Miss-Louisville. Eight and a half point favorites are the Rebels over the Louisville Cardinals. That number has dropped from one and a half points since we found out about Lane Kiffin. Last Friday, it was a 10-point line.
1: Yeah, and again, after seeing what happened in college football over the course of the week, some teams losing to some teams that you would not expect them to, and some teams just fundamentally not looking right. Not surprising if the line dropped.
0: What's your pick? We got a minute left.
1: I'm going to go with Ole Miss simply because it's very similar to the North Carolina game. I just think the offensive talent is too much. You know, Louisville, uh, we were talking about over the break, uh, gave up 26.6 points per game last season. Not a bad defense, not a great offense either, though. Malik Cunningham is an efficient quarterback, but I just don't see Louisville scoring enough points to keep up with Ole Miss. I'm going to say that this game ends up somewhere in the 30s and 40s for both of these teams but i think matt corral i know he's got new receivers i think he's gonna find some guys running free though
0: sting what do you got
5: yeah i'm gonna agree with all that we had a bit of a spirited debate uh, off the air during the break but but yeah, i to call it spirited yeah i gotta go with Ole miss in the end knowing what i know i mean louisville's almost dead last in returning production lance was telling me and i think Ole miss returns enough weapons that they end up winning
0: So I look back at last year's Miami-Louisville game. It was 47-34. That's what I'm going with today, Ole Miss. 47-34. They can't play defense. Um, No, I think Ole Miss covers. Eight and a half. I'm going to take Ole Miss to win by a couple scores. I just don't think Louisville has the defense to uh, defend all the weapons that Ole Miss has on the perimeter. A lot of athletes there. That's it for the Monday edition of On the Line. We'll be back with you tomorrow. Same time, same place. You know where to find us.